Opinions of shows on KCNR are those of the hosts, guests, and callers only, and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of KCNR Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Dr. Patricia Bay, and you are tuning in to Therapy in a Nutshell, here on KCNR Radio, 96.5 FM, 1460 AM, your talk radio. Today we are going to be talking about high-maintenance people. This is an interesting subject because I see it a lot in my office. And it isn't, the way I'm going to talk about it is not the stereotypical way that people think of high maintenance. Um, the image that comes to mind for most people is the high maintenance woman um, who needs a lot of attention and who spends a lot of money and needs the finest of everything and has certain characteristics that men will say to each other, uh, oh, she's high maintenance, stay clear of her. So, Okay, that's one type of high maintenance, but I want to talk to you about a different kind of high maintenance that I see in families a lot. And this is for people who they themselves might be high maintenance, or if you are dealing with a high maintenance person in your life, whether it's a spouse or a friend or a child or an employee, this is going to give you some definition for what we're talking about and hopefully give you some tools to help you deal with this. But let's talk about First off, let's get that stereotypical high-maintenance person out of the way. Uh, that's the person who demands a lot of attention, needs lots of money. They're demanding. They tend to be complainers. They're perfectionistic, temperamental. They often have high expectations. Uh, and then they're demanding and critical when their expectations aren't met. They crave attention. They tend to be drama People, I won't say just drama queens, because this is not always women, you guys. There are men that are just as high maintenance. They often play the victim. Uh, if they don't get their needs met or their expectations met, they'll feel like, if only you loved me more, you would have done that like I expected. Uh, the high maintenance person in that stereotypical manner needs excessive amounts of time and money. Um, you know, we think about the stereotypical woman who needs, who's high maintenance with the manicures and the pedicures and the expensive clothes and the makeup and the hair and having to go to the finest restaurants and drink the finest wine and everything has to be lovely and perfect. Um, and that is often seen as an undesirable trait in a person. I remember I had a, a client a long time ago who used to complain that his wife was high maintenance. And then after a while he started to say, but I like it that she always looks nice. Her nails are always pretty. She does her hair. She always is dressed very classy. And he said, I, I kind of like that. So he had to come to terms with what he really liked and what he considered way over the top. And that was a real good turning point in their couple counseling, by the way. So some of this you have to learn what you want and what you agree with and what makes sense to you. So... Is high maintenance something that is an undesirable trait, or is it something that means somebody really cares? They care about how they look. They care about what they eat, um, things like that. And like anything, it's a balance. 
somebody who goes way up that spectrum and has to have everything just perfect and the finest of everything and um, takes a ton of time to get anything done because it has to be perfect, they can be high maintenance because they're way over the top. And then there's somebody who might consider themselves extremely low maintenance. They don't need anything. And they're very uh, indiscriminate about what is going on and all of that stuff. And that can be disguised as well. Somebody who might consider themselves super low maintenance might also have a whole bunch of parameters that have to be met in order for them to be feeling like they can be low maintenance. Um, so it isn't always about whether you spend money or not. It's how you have to have things and how much energy others have to put into you to fluff you up so that you're okay. And I, I use that term a lot when it comes to high maintenance. It's a, it's a fluffing thing. How, how do you have to fluff somebody up to keep them calm or to help them make a decision or to, to speak their mind in a way that's not demeaning or critical, how much tap dancing, how much fluffing you up, how much uh, walking around on eggshells do you have to do with your high-maintenance person to not make them irritated or angry or pouty or something that's just hard to deal with. So we want, I want to go into this in a way that isn't just talking about this stereotypical way. We got that out of the way for right now. And I want to talk about when we see high-maintenance in families, and in relationships, and how this can be difficult for those around you. Many high people, high maintenance people have no idea that they are difficult to live with or that they, that people kind of tap dance around them. And then there's some people that say, oh, yeah, I'm high maintenance. You know, I, I won't go out for pizza and beer. It has to be a really good restaurant. Or um, if I can't have my protein shake with exactly what I need in the morning, then I'm not okay. And they're, they recognize that they have very discriminating taste and very high standards and that they have to be met. Those people can tell you, yeah, I'm high maintenance. It has to be like I need it. And that isn't necessarily the problem. The harder problem is people who are high maintenance and expect that to be okay and almost like it when people tap dance around them, and they use their high-maintenance temper tantrums to manipulate those around them. And that's what I see happen in ways in families that is destructive and difficult to deal with. So let's, let me give you an analogy that I give to families a lot in my office. Do you remember at bowling alleys when they would put bumpers in the alleys in the, the gutters of the alley. And they did that so that little kids could bowl. The bowling ball would go over and hit the balloon bumper and then pop back into the center, and the kids could feel successful while they were bowling. Those bumpers in the bowling alley were to keep the ball going and to help someone feel successful. What I see in my practice a lot are what I call bumper people. And those are people that when you set a boundary for them, no matter where the boundary is, they will bounce into your bumper. So if you're a parent and you set your bumper super far out without very good parameters and very low expectations and you can get by with a whole lot and you have a bumper kid, they'll go all the way out to your wide parameters and hit those bumpers. If you're a very strict, um, kind of egalitarian sort of, parent and you put your bumpers super tight and expect everybody to stay within those bumpers, you will have people hitting those bumpers a lot. 
Now, what happens is you have to be willing to defend your bumpers when you have a bumper person in your family, whether it's your spouse or your kid. You have to be able to defend those bumpers. So I always tell people, where are your bumpers? If you can't tell me what your boundaries are for, your, say, your kids, for example, if you can't tell me what the boundaries are for your kids, then your bumpers aren't very well defined. If you constantly have a kid bumping into your bumpers, then you are, are blowing through your bumpers, then you're not defending your boundaries very well. So I want to be able, by the end of this show, I want you to be able to understand some different types of high maintenance and how you might inadvertently play into that, whether it's yourself and your high maintenance and you need to look at this, or whether you have somebody that you care about that's a high maintenance person. So before we end this first section, I also want you to think high maintenance people can be your employee, your friend, uh, your boss, your adult parent, um, your sibling. And so we're going to talk about some of those and how to recognize it. And then I want to give you some coping tools. So we're going to go to break and we'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. You're listening to Randy McGinnis, Native American flutist. His music is just gorgeous and intriguing, and all six of his CDs are very different, which is unusual. A lot of people do CDs, and it's like if you buy one, you've bought them all because they all sound alike. Randy's are very different. Uh, you can go to randymcginnis.com and check out his Native American flute music. He's played all over the world. He's... Um, won tons of awards and is currently the Lifetime Achievement Award for Native American Flute. He's a Cherokee native, speaks fluent Cherokee, and he's just an amazing man. So thank you, Randy, for letting us use your music on our show. It's, it's soothing. It's wonderful. I appreciate it. So we're talking about high-maintenance people, and I was telling you about bumper people. So let's talk about bumper kids. Right, we're going to put some of these examples in terms of kids. Now, what I want you to remember is a bumper kid, you might go, well, that sounds like my employee, or that sounds like my husband, or whatever. Bumper people are the ones that are constantly running into your boundaries. And they are high-maintenance people not because they're demanding and critical and need a lot of attention and they're drama people and play the victim, although that can be included in there. That definitely can be included in there. But they also are people that you are constantly setting boundaries with and constantly defending the boundaries that you set. So uh, bumper kids will be boundary busters with chores, curfews, homework, hygiene. And you start to feel like, should you still be telling your 14-year-old to brush his teeth every day? No. Is it appropriate to be telling your 5-year-old, your 7-year-old, reminding your 10-year-old, did you brush your teeth? Yes, because you're training them. By the time a kid's 14 or 15, you definitely shouldn't be having to tell them to take a shower and brush their teeth. And if you constantly have to do that, you start to feel like it's high maintenance to be reminding them everything. Bumper kids often argue about everything. You say black, they say white. You say let's do it this way, they say no way. Um, they're stubborn and they often want to win. And you can feel that. So everything feels like it's a battle. When you've got a bumper kid, it's difficult to train them how to do things, not because they aren't smart. Often they're very smart, 
like, for example, a bumper kid, you might, their chore might be feeding the animals. And you teach them how to feed the animals, what time, how much, how to clean up after themselves if they spill food out of the bag or the container. And a bumper kid, you cannot rely on them to feed the animals correctly. You have to watch them. You have to remind them. You have to drag them back to clean up their mess. You find out later that they never fed the animals. And you're constantly looking over their shoulder and irritated. Now, some people will say that that's a helicopter parent telling their kid what to do. Sometimes the parent will say, gosh, I try to back off. I try to let him do it by himself or herself, and they just don't do it. So I'm constantly nagging and reminding and cajoling and grounding. And you start to feel like a nag and a bad person. And it isn't a good feeling. So the bumper kid is the one who's bucking that team approach. Come on, let's just get things done. Let's get these dishes done. You feed the animals. I'll sweep the floor. Uh, Let's get ready to go out and have a bike ride. And you're herding your bumper kid in a direction and feeling like you can't get anywhere. So one of the primary feelings that goes along with living with a high-maintenance person that is constantly busting your boundaries is that they are exhausting. You feel It's exhausting to feel like the bad guy, to have to constantly remind somebody, to wish they would just learn and participate and be part of the team, and it's exhausting. So you're not alone if you feel like that. Now, you often would think these are kids that have special needs. You know, they might be autistic or they might um, be mentally challenged or have mental illness or something like that. Those are the type of people I'm talking about. I'm talking about normal, everyday people that may have ADHD or they may have a little bit of autism or they may have something that makes them have a little bit more to overcome. But you'll notice that when a bumper person wants to do something or it serves them or they like it or they are highly motivated by usually an instant kind of reward, then all of a sudden they'll do it and they'll do it right. And you're like, wait a minute, that's in there. I knew that was in there. But they don't do it because they want to please others. And that's what starts to make it so exhausting. You worry about bumper people who bust your boundaries because they're the rule breakers. You can set a boundary and they'll blow through it. Like a kid, you set a boundary for they have to be in at 10 o'clock. And they come in at 10.15 just to see what you'll do. They might have even wanted to come home at 9.30, but they'll kind of wait around to push the boundary just to show you that you can't control them. And you feel that. And it's exhausting. They tend to need constant supervision and direction and a push in a direction to make them do what they're already supposed to do. So the high-maintenance part of this is you not only have to set your boundaries and you have to defend them and constantly say, no, you can't do that, and and that's not the boundary that's set, and now you're grounded, or now you're in trouble, or now you have to do more chores, or now you need to go to your room. And that's, that's hard to be the bad guy all the time. But also because to get a high-maintenance person to do what they should be doing anyway, they need a lot of that thing I call fluffing. you got to fluff them up. you got to tell them how good they are. And, oh, it's, you fed the dog so beautifully. That's so wonderful. And thank you so much for cleaning up. And that's exhausting. So we want people to just be responsible for themselves and go forward 
and do a good job and take pride in what they do and not have to have somebody looking over their shoulder all the time. And, you know, think about it. There's people in your life that you do trust, that are responsible, that do show up and do it right and follow through and act like they care about a good job. And those are the people that you tend to have a lot of respect for. They are not the high-maintenance bumper people in your life, the ones that have to be fluffed and have to be cajoled into doing what they should do anyway. Um, One of the things I've seen in kids growing up who are like that and who are just so exhausting is sometimes when those kids go into the military, when they're in boot camp and when they're serving under somebody who is their designated leader and their boss, they don't take any garbage from them. They will... They don't care if they've got a headache or they want to sleep or they're tired or they didn't want to do it or they did it wrong. Like, for example, when my daughter was in the Navy, if one person in the barracks screwed up how their rack was and how their storage was of their clothes and everything, if one person had something a tiny bit off, the drill sergeants would trash the entire barracks of every person in there, throw everything around, toss their beds, toss their clothes, make a total mess of the barracks, and then look at everybody and say, you guys are all cleaning up because so-and-so over there didn't do it right. Now you've got 30 minutes to put it back together. Or you're going to move that snowdrift from this spot to that spot with a tablespoon. They actually had to do that once in Chicago in a snowstorm. So the, the military doesn't put up with it. They have very strict boundaries, and they don't have any tolerance, and they don't care if you've got a whiny little brat who doesn't want to do it. It is very good for kids to have that kind of boundary setting and the inability to push the limits. The boundaries are tight, they're meant to be tight, and they are strictly enforced. So that's one reason that these kind of kids that need to grow up do well going into the military. Actually, it's hard on them at first, but if they can make it through and persevere, they can grow up and they can learn to be different because they have to or they're in constant trouble. And that kind of trouble is not fun trouble. So let's look at the idea of what we do with kids that helps them continue to be high maintenance. Do we enable them? Do we sometimes enforce a boundary and sometimes feel like you don't feel like being the bad mom or the bad dad and telling them, no, you can't do that? Those kind of inconsistent bumpers that they run into end up enabling them to do what they want to do. They can be lazy or needy or do a halfway job. Um, They can forget to do their job and there's no consequence. Are there sometimes a consequence and sometimes there's not? And sometimes you let it go, let it go, let it go until you scream and yell and then you look like, you know, the exorcist with your head spinning around and green vomit coming out your mouth. And then you feel like the bad guy even more. So I want you to, if you've got a bumper child, I want you to stop and take a look at where are your bumpers? How do you set them? How clear are they? Could you write them down? And how well do you defend your bumpers on a consistent basis? Because if you don't do that with a bumper pusher, you're enabling them to push your bumpers and win sometimes. And I'll tell you, intermittent reinforcement is extremely effective. Let's say you don't feed your dog from the table. And once every hundred times you slip your dog a piece of meat, you're going to have your dog begging at the table because they know if they continually beg at the table Once every 100 or 200 times, you're going to slip them a piece of food. That's called intermittent reinforcement, and it is hugely effective. So if you only intermittently 
and force your bumpers, you are going to inadvertently be teaching your child that if they whine and cry and complain and don't do it and don't follow through and do a halfway job, that every once in a while they're just going to get by with it because mom or dad doesn't feel like following through. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, I want to talk about how high-maintenance kids become high-maintenance adults. We'll be right back. Why is it- Uh, welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. Some Native American drumming there. I just love that. All right. We are talking about high-maintenance people. And you know what? All of that music, the drumming, the flute coming in, is all perfect for this show. Sometimes, high-maintenance people, you feel like you're just beating a drum and not getting anywhere. <laughs> my, my producer, Jared, picked that song. Good job, Jared. <laughs> that was great. Okay. So... Let's talk about high-maintenance adults, because sometimes high-maintenance adults are high-maintenance kids that didn't grow out of their sense of entitlement and their want to have it all perfect, and sometimes the selfishness and laziness that, that goes in with having to have everything just right and not really caring about whether it fits for other people or not. So high-maintenance people are not necessarily selfish or lazy, although that can be a component in there. Um, the main thing that I see with bumper people or high-maintenance people is they want what they want when they want it. And they don't really necessarily have a sense of patience to let something unfold or to let it evolve. Um, They also feel, uh, they often act as though their needs are special. They wake up and they're tired or they have a headache or um, they didn't want to get out of bed and they end up being late for school, for work, for showing up to do whatever they said they're going to do. And they feel entitled to do that. Um, so we're, are the adults that you know in your life that are just difficult to deal with and have to have everything just right and uh, whiners and complainers and they're, they're just those people that you kind of go, oh, they need so much fluffing up in order to be okay. Were they high-maintenance children or not? Or did they somehow end up doing that as adults? It's unlikely. Usually it's a personality style, and it's also a learned behavior. Um, Often when I'm talking to somebody who recognizes their high-maintenance and they need to learn how to stop that, they'll tell me, I'm just like my fill-in-the-blank, my mom or my dad, or my older sister was just like this. So the... They will tell you that it's a behavior that was modeled for them. So let's look at these high-maintenance adults for a minute. These people can be your friends, your partner, your spouse, a family member. And let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, Let's say you have a high-maintenance friend. Probably this would be an example of a high-maintenance friend. Um, I'll use the pronoun she, although it could be he's. These are not gender-specific. These are personality-specific. But let's say you have a high-maintenance friend, and she's always late. And she kind of expects everybody to wait for her. And then when she comes flouncing in, there's usually some drama that's happened. Either her hair wouldn't curl, or something happened, or she broke a fingernail, or, um, you know, some, some drama happened. And everybody's expected to pay attention to that and give her some kudos. And then you're going to go, say, to a restaurant. Everybody stands back knowing that that person has to pick the spot because they don't like being in the fishbowl or they can't sit over here, it's too near the kitchen, or I don't like the chairs over there. 
they tend to have very high criteria for what they will accept and what they won't. And everybody knows you're going out with a few girlfriends. Everybody knows, stand back because she's the one that better get her way. Are you going to have to listen to her whine the whole time that you're out? Now, there's probably things about her that you love. She's probably funny. She brings energy to the table, blah, blah, blah. And you like her. But you have to put up with those behaviors that are annoying and high maintenance. So that would be an example of kind of a high maintenance friend. And I'm, I'm, I can feel the heads nodding out there. Almost everybody has a friend or two like that, that they go, oh, do we have to invite him or her because uh, it's going to become difficult. Let's look at the high maintenance family member. Um, let me give a typical example that I hear in my office often. Uh, you are a middle-aged adult. You have an elderly parent. So let's say you have some 80, 85-year-old parent, and that is a high-maintenance person. Been high-maintenance all their life. They complain about everything. Nothing's ever right. And they're calling you 10 times a day, and they're complaining about wherever they are, and they're complaining about the food, and uh, they're complaining that you don't call enough or show up enough. And there's not any encouragement or lightness or uh, invitation to engage in a positive way. It's mostly about complaining and demanding, and negative, and most people I see in my practice that talk about elderly parents like that will say, and this is nothing new, my, say my mother, my mother was always like that, you know, you never could make her happy, and she complained about everything, and she was always the victim. Those people don't magically grow out of it when they become dependent seniors, they get worse. Let me give you a flip example of that. My mom was Super cool. One of my best friends. I miss her terribly. She died a couple years ago. And she used to always worry that she was putting people out, that she was demanding too much, that she needed too much help. And I used to tell my mom, look, you're reaping what you sowed, mom. You were always loving and kind and helpful and showed up for everybody all the time for as long as you could. And now that you need help from me or from my girls, You deserve that because you're reaping what you sowed. You were a lovely, kind, giving person all your life, and now you have to allow us to give to you and take care of you. And we'd have that discussion a lot because she was always worried that she needed too much. But that's the flip side of the bossy, boundary-busting, dependent, angry, sense of entitled elder person who drives their kids nuts, and they don't even want to show up and see the person. So... There's a head nodding out there, too, because people have a family member that often is the high-maintenance boundary buster person, and they have to constantly set boundaries of that. It's, It's something typical that I hear in my practice that someone will say, my sibling never contacts me unless he or she needs something. They need money. They need my attention. They need me to do something for them, but I don't ever hear from them. How are you doing, or can I help you with something? Or that's the sibling that disappears if they know we're taking on a difficult project for the elderly parent. They're all of a sudden out of town, and they're not going to be there to help get the house straightened up or do the yard work. So that's the person who most likely was the one who didn't feed the dog right and who you couldn't count on to show up to do the chores. So these high-maintenance adults were often high-maintenance children that were boundary busters back then, too. Let's take the example of the high-maintenance employee. This is usually the employee that shows up late, has excuses, um, that's the least productive person, and it's difficult. 
Now, if you're if this is not a family member in your business, and we'll talk about that in just a second, these the marginal employee is one of the hardest employees to fire. Really great employees, not a problem. Really, really bad employees, not a problem. You can usually justify why they didn't work out and can fire them. It's the marginal employee that's sort of okay and sort of good sometimes and then a pain in the butt other times. And depending on your tolerance level for a boundary pusher, the marginal employee will just kind of stay on. Maybe you're saying, oh, well, they're good with the customers and everybody likes them because they're so personable, but they're always late. And, you know, that they they really make it sparkle around here because they're funny and, and personable, uh, but they don't do their paperwork. So the marginal employee can be the boundary buster. And we're going to, by the last section of the show, I want to talk to you about some ways to deal with that. But that's what happens sometimes with a boundary buster kid or a boundary buster spouse or the boundary buster employee because... The marginalness where they're not always bad, and very few people are always one thing or another, they're hard to deal with because you want to focus on what's good, but there's a whole lot of bad there. So let's talk about what happens sometimes when you have a family member in your business. And I see this often and have over my 34 years of private practice. Um, I'll give you an example of a family I dealt with before. They had a son in their business, a young adult son. And he used to totally take advantage of them. He would come in late. He'd have a headache. He didn't get enough sleep. Uh, he'd be hungover, but he'd say he was sick. Um, he would lie on his time card and put down more hours than he really worked and expect to get paid. And if somebody actually called him on that and shorted him, he'd whine and complain and say how that isn't true and they're lying. And he was just a pain in the butt in this business. But the parents kept him on because they were afraid he couldn't work anywhere else. He would do that to other employees and get fired. They wanted to try and get some kind of work ethic into the, I think he was about 23 when I heard about this case. And they wanted him to uh, pull it together and become a productive member. I was sitting there thinking the kid needs to go into the Marine Corps and be taught how to do boundaries instead of being enabled and entitled in this family business. He was making more money than any of the other employees because they overpaid him, hoping that he would save his money and and pull it together and move out and and all of this kind of stuff. But what they were actually doing was inadvertently enabling him to be a really crummy employee. The best thing that kid could have done and what we finally ended up working out is they let him go. And they said, this isn't working out for you to be in the family business. You're going to have to go make your way somewhere else. And, of course, the first words out of his mouth are, I'm not going to go flip burgers at McDonald's, you know, like that was beneath him. He wanted to make the high wage he was making for basically doing nothing and cutting out early and sitting around looking at his phone. So you know what I'm talking about if you deal with a high-maintenance person because you're already thinking, ah, Dr. Patty's talking about fill in the blank, this employee, that sister, that brother, uh, that elderly parent, that family member my teenager, um, you know, fill in the blank. You know who I'm talking about. And because I swear, I think everybody has one in their family somewhere, right? Like we all have a black sheep somewhere, and we usually all have the difficult person to deal with, that difficult personality. And if you're one of those lucky people who everybody's wonderful and everybody follows the rules and everybody respects the boundaries of others, you need to call me because I haven't talked to your family yet. I'm teasing. It is a difficult thing to find. And there are some healthy families out there, so I am teasing. But 
But this high-maintenance issue is huge, and people whine about it a lot. So are you understanding why I'm saying it's far more than the stereotypical high-maintenance woman that needs to have her pedicure and her manicure and her expensive clothes? That's not what I'm talking about, people. I'm talking about people that cannot follow the rules, bust the boundaries, create havoc for other people, make others pick up after them. They are high-maintenance. They make people not respect them, not trust them, and people start to dread spending their energy with them because they don't really listen to what's going on. So, all right, so we're we're looking at how the high-maintenance kids become those high-maintenance adults. And one of the biggest things we're talking about is a sense of entitlement, right? Why does a teenager feel they're entitled to feed the animals wrong? Why does your spouse feel they're entitled to go blow the money that should have been put on the credit card or paying the rent or running up bills? Why do they feel entitled to do that? That entitlement comes from a sense of, not me, I don't have to pick up. So they make a big mess, they walk away. They're, they're intuitively saying, someone else will do it. You know, my mom can't stand seeing a dirty floor, so she'll come pick up all the dog food that got left out. They are backing off and feeling entitled that someone else is going to allow them to break a boundary or break a rule or not follow through. Now, let's clarify that we're not talking about people that are high maintenance, not from their own fault, special needs people who are disabled, your elderly parent that needs your help and has not been particularly a great parent or a loving, kind person, but they need your help and they're not doing it on purpose, they're not manipulating. For example, my husband, Rich, um, very highly productive person, a great attorney, um, like to have things orderly and just so. As he got sicker and sicker with his brain disease, frontal temporal degeneration, he needed more and more care. And it was very high maintenance. But that's not the same kind of high maintenance. I was happy to take care of him. I wanted to make sure he was safe and comfortable and loved. And was it hard? Because there was constant high maintenance stuff and constantly having to deal with the boundaries he could no longer accept or or respect, yeah, but that's different because it wasn't his fault. It was an illness, and I was happy to take care of him because I love him. I loved him before. I still love him. I always will love him. That's just how it goes. But you understand what I mean by that high maintenance is not the unusual situation where somebody needs you. I'm talking about the people who have the ability. They just aren't willing. They they don't care. They think other people will do it for them. They feel entitled. They tend to be lazy and selfish. They make excuses for themselves. And other people inadvertently enable them to be that way. So we're going to go to break. And when we come back, I want to give you some tools for your tool belt to help you deal with the high-maintenance people in your life. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. This is Dr. Patty, and that's the beautiful native of flute music of Randy McGinnis. Today we are talking about high-maintenance people and those boundary busters that make you have to spend all your energy dealing with them. They often suck all the air out of the room. They take all of your fluffing up and 
dealing with their manipulation and trying to keep them on track, and it is exhausting. So I want to give you some tools for dealing with these kind of people in your life. One of the first ones is take a specific person that's high maintenance for you. Don't look at across the board 20 high maintenance people in your life. And if that's an issue, we probably have a therapeutic issue with you and you need to get some good therapy on why you let those people into your life all the time. But let's take one person. Let's say you have a child or you have a spouse or you have an employee or a friend that are just what I've been describing this whole show. The first thing I want you to do is take just that specific person, write their name down at the top of the page, and I want you to say, what are your boundaries with that person? You have to be able to spell them out. Like you want them to show up on time. You want them to do what they're asked to do in a responsible manner. You want them to clean up after themselves. You want them to follow the list. Like if it's your teenager and you made a list of chores and everybody signed it. I've had this so many times in my office. You date it, you sign it, you practically sign it in blood. The kid agrees to everything on there and immediately starts busting the boundaries on that list. And then you feel like a crank because you're trying to reinforce what the kid already agreed to. So I want you to be able to list what the boundaries are for this person that you would like to see that would make that relationship easier for you to enjoy. So take that person, list your boundaries. Now I want you to take a good look at yourself. How often do you inadvertently give that person a sense of entitlement that they can bust that boundary? So let's say that you are saying to your teenager, you will clean up after yourself. I don't care if you go make a bowl of cereal or you make some toast or uh, you get a bowl of ice cream. I don't care. Clean up after yourself. Rinse your dish. Put it in the dishwasher. Dry it. Put it away. Whatever the rules are. How often do you go in there and go, oh, geez, cereal's all over the counter. And then you pick it up. I don't care if you have to go get that kid out of bed. Drag their ass into Can I say that? Wait, I was going to get beeped. (laughs) No, my my producer gave me a thumbs up. I can say that word. Okay, drag their ass into the kitchen and you say, clean it up. This is, you agreed. You're going to clean up your messes and you do it every single time. Now, is that high maintenance for you to have to do that? Absolutely. Is it a pain for you? Yes. But you don't want to inadvertently give that person a sense of entitlement. I'll tell you a funny thing that one of our, my husband Rich used to do with our kids. When they would violate the clean up after yourself rule, he would take the dirty dishes and put them on their bed. He used to really tick off our oldest one. She'd go in there and there'd be cereal balls and glasses and spoons on her on her bedspread, on her usually unmade bed too, right? And so she'd go, Dad, I can't believe you did that. And he'd go, clean up after yourself. And so, and he was pretty darn consistent with that. I swear, she she came home to stuff on her bed lots of times. And you have to be consistent, all right? So I want you to take a good look at yourself. Where are you enabling? Where are you inconsistent? Where do you say, oh, I don't want to be the meanie and get her out of bed. She just got to sleep or whatever. That is you inadvertently enabling them to bust the boundary. Okay, so you're going to set consequences for the violation of the boundaries. And you're going to be consistent with how they're enforced. Now, how do you do that with a friend? Say your friend is always late. That's one of those friends that you tell to show up at 4 when everybody else is showing up at 4.30 because they might get there by quarter to 5. You're still waiting usually. But you're trying to get the person to follow the rules by being manipulative yourself. And what's really interesting is that person finds out you did that 
you set the time for them differently, and they usually get really offended and really mad, which actually cracks me up. So I would never want to be the person that somebody had to tell a different time just so I'd be on time. That'd be so embarrassing. But what do you do with a friend? You can say, look, it's really difficult that you're always late. We're the, the group of us, we're leaving at 4.30. If you're not there, we're leaving. By 4.35, we're going to be driving away. So if you show up a quarter to five, you're out of luck. And then you really do that. It, it comes with being honest and standing in your truth. You can go to my podcast, um, go to Dr. Patricia Bay Therapy in a Nutshell podcast, and find the one called Standing in Your Truth. That's what you would do with your boundary buster, whether it's your employee or your friend or whatever. You're going to stand in your truth and say, this is so high maintenance and so draining. We really wish you would take a look at this. You can even be positive, like for a friend. We want to include you in the activity. We love having you with us. But it's really hard that you do a couple of things that are so high maintenance. So it's not necessarily an easy conversation. And people that avoid conflict at all costs often are enablers of boundary busters. Okay, I'm going to say that one more time. People who avoid avoid conflict at all costs inadvertently enable boundary busters. All right? Sometimes in life you have to stand in your truth or you get walked on. All right, so that's what we're talking about. You're going to be able to list your boundaries. You're going to be able to write them down. You're going to look at how ways that you've been inconsistent in reinforcing your boundaries, and you're going to tighten yourself up a little bit. All right. Now, one of the things is when you are meeting someone for the first time, whether it's an employee or a friend or um, a relationship, somebody you might date, you are looking for how well do they respect boundaries. You know, if, if, you're, if it's an employee coming for an interview and they show up late for their interview, there better be a darn good reason why. And they better be saying, I deeply apologize. I'm normally very on time. This is not like me. But there was a big auto wreck. I couldn't get around. I tried to call, but I didn't have a signal. I mean, they better have a really good reason for being late for an initial job interview because that's a boundary bust right there. In a new relationship that you're forming, whether it's a friend or someone you're dating, look and see if you have similar values and interests. What are your likes and dislikes? If if you've got somebody who has to go to a five-star restaurant and they're not the pizza and beer type and you are, you might not have similar likes and dislikes. It isn't that everybody has to be the same. It's that you want people who are like-minded. I have people that uh, friends or clients that I know love taking wonderful vacations. And what They love doing Europe in uh, wonderful hotels and, you know, doing that kind of stuff. And then I have people that that would not appeal to them at all. They want to go camping. They want to do something more simple. You want people who are like-minded to be in your close circle of friends or in a relationship. And it takes time to figure that out. You know, if you're an outdoorsy person and you want to go hiking and fishing and camping and you date somebody who a good outdoor experience is when they can get out early and go to the five-star restaurant and get a massage when they're done, they might not be the same type of values that you have. So take your time and figure out if you are like-minded with somebody you first meet or that you're dating. Here's the other thing with boundary busters. You need to be yourself. Don't constantly accommodate or bend yourself to 
listen to the radio station they want or go to the restaurant they like or always sit where they want or set the time in what works for them because they, they can't get up early or whatever the issue is, don't allow yourself to constantly be the compromiser to keep the peace and to make it so that they don't ever have to accommodate because when they do, they whine and they're high maintenance and it's a disaster and you have to spend a lot of energy fluffing them up so that they're not ruining the time or sucking all the energy out of the room. Be yourself. Set your parameters and your boundaries and know what you will or will not do. And I'm not saying you should be rigid and everything should be your way all the time. You can compromise. But if you're the one who is always compromising and always accommodating and trying to keep the peace so that your boundary buster isn't sucking all the energy out of the room, then you are inadvertently enabling that person to always get their way. And then that becomes an issue. You can say, you know, the last couple of times you've chosen where we've gone to eat or you've chosen the movie or you've said, let's, what video are we going to watch tonight? And I think it's my turn. I would like to have a turn. That's you standing in your truth and you not enabling that person to always get their way. The parent who ends up paying their kid for time they didn't work is enabling that child to be lazy, to be selfish, to lie, and to take advantage. That is not teaching that kid something. If you give your child their allowance when they have had so many things they're supposed to do and they're supposed to be checked off and done well, not done halfway, and you give them their allowance anyway, what are you teaching them? Okay, stop and think about it. The same thing works with any boundary buster in your life. So what do you do with the 80-year-old mother who's demanding and whining about everything, complaining, and nobody pays enough attention, and da-da-da-da-da-da, and you dread the phone call? You have to try and set what your boundaries are. And you can go pay attention to that person on your time frame. And you can give them some attention in a way that you really like. And you don't have to jump to their commands all the time. Now, I'm not saying you neglect your elderly parent who's difficult. You can't do that. You just can't. It's not right. But you can not answer the phone 20 times a day when they call. Or you can call back every evening and say, How's it, how'd it go today? Do you have anything you need to tell me? You can try to orchestrate the boundaries and the limits in a way that keeps their safety but keeps your sanity. Okay, let's say that one more time. Keeps their safety but keeps your sanity. Got it? This is the the real issue with many, many boundary busters is they take your sanity and you feel like you've got a tap dance all around them to keep some of your sanity. All right, so a metaphor I want to leave you with before we're done is I want you to picture a really fair and nice game of tennis. They're on the other side of the net. You're on this side of the net. You are each gently lobbing balls over to the other and waiting for the ball to be returned, and it's really equal. They don't get to go and sit down and leave you playing by yourself. They don't get to slam the ball back in your face when you're trying to be nice. You don't get to run around the net and do it for them so that you can pretend that they're really actually engaging with you in a nice, fair, interactive game. In good communication, in an equal relationship where everybody's taking responsibility for themselves, it's like a nice, polite, fair game of tennis. Everybody's hitting the ball nicely, everybody's returning it, and everybody's doing their part to keep it going. All right. So I want you to be looking at that 
And I also want you to address what your fears are. Your fears of not having enough, your fears of somebody not loving you if you set a boundary with them, fears of aging, loneliness. What are the things that motivate you to allow people to bust their boundaries with you? That's a really cool thing for you to look at. Why do we need what we need is what I'm saying. And those are some of the reasons you might enable someone to be a boundary buster. So this show has been about high-maintenance people who bust your boundaries and how you allow that and how you need to make some changes for yourself and you probably need to stand in your truth. All right. I hope this helps you out with some of those difficult people in your life. This is Dr. Patricia Bay, Dr. Patty, and you've been listening to Therapy in a Nutshell. Well, all I want to do is help heal the world one hour at a time. The news from Town Hall is brought to you on KCNR Shasta Reading by Shasta Regional Medical Center. Your life, your health, your choice. Shasta Regional Medical Center.